about like beast. companies like Plonk. What's Plonk? You know those little. Are yeah, they called Plonks? Funko Pops? Funko. Jeez. Where is Plonk? <laughs> well, you knew what I was talking about. <laughs> Deep tech part of that would be the super sophisticated search algorithm, which would be insanely cool for a number of different things. But the the other maybe more neural linky type strategy here is that you just record brain patterns. Today, AJ is going to pitch me a couple of ideas, and basically, I'm going to try not to shit all over them. AJ. So, wait, I'm, I'm the only one pitching? You're not pitching me some ideas? I, I don't have any ideas for you. Okay, fair if enough. If I come up with one mid-conversation, then I'm just going to rudely interrupt you and pitch it. Okay, fair enough. We're going to do it like Tinder style, right? So, Deep Tech Tinder, which I'm sure you're very familiar with. I'm not because I've never been on a date in my adult life. <laughs> I went straight from high school to marriage, so you can tell me what Tinder's like. But what, from what I understand looking over my friend's shoulders with envy. Actually, not envy. I, forgive me. <laughs> don't, For context, don't, AJ is married. Don't don't tell my wife that. But from what I understand, you see a girl's photo and you either swipe right or left. Right is yes. Don't look at me. I've not actually used Tinder, but let's say right is... I think right is... Yeah, we're a bunch of deep tech nerds that have <laughs> never used Tinder. You can either swipe right for yes, swipe left for no, and you can swipe up for super like. Ooh. Right? So super likes like... You're super into it. Okay. okay. Yeah. Am I doing this just off the equivalent of a profile pic or am I, cl- am I actually reading the bio? No, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll start talking about it. You can interrupt me at any point and start asking questions or throw in your hat if right, you want. All right, let's do it. Okay, so the first idea is e-commerce parametric insurance. Off the bat, what are your thoughts? Do you even know what that means? I have no clue what that means. Okay. I'm clicking out of pure curiosity. <laughs> I'm going to guess that you're putting in a whole bunch of parameters and just randomly online and someone's going to give you some insurance quote. But that sounds really boring. Yeah, insurance isn't really a <laughs> sexy topic, to be honest. But have you seen parametric insurance before? No. Okay, parametric insurance is basically you get pre-specified payouts depending on certain variables being hit, right? So a really simple example would be if you get earthquake insurance, you pay a premium per month. And then if an earthquake happens and your location is already specified, like you have your GPS coordinates and the Richter scale is measured at that point at like above, I don't know what earthquake Richter scales are like, but like let's say a four or five or something like that. And you've already worked out with the insurance company that if it automatically hits a four or five and if it hits in the right location next to your house, then you get a payout, you know, whatever that payout is automatically, right? So a lot of companies have tried to do this with crypto as well, right? Because Ethereum program that's, exactly, that's exactly where my brain was going. It just sounds like a fancy word for like automated insurance payouts. Correct. But it's based on math, based on there's like no insurance agent that comes and checks it out. You're trying to use very objective data to do these payouts, right? So a bunch of companies have tried doing this. I think earthquake insurance is a thing and they try to do it in a parametric way, but I don't think people have really figured out how to get adoption because crypto and insurance and payouts like never really worked out but sure. i do think that's going to be a trend in the future now just for context six and above on the richter scale considered strong okay cool i also want to give a shout out because this is not my idea <laughs> i got this from a venture capitalist from atlas ventures so thank you for the idea they said they're looking for a company doing this but they haven't found it so i'm going to take so the what's, idea. what's the e-commerce part at the front yeah yeah so i, th- I think this is a no-brainer so Essentially, in e-commerce, we've also faced this at entry level. Sometimes your services go down, 
Cloudflare goes down, Shopify goes down, whatever. But for e-commerce companies, you lose money. <laughs> Every minute that is down, you will lose like $10,000, $20,000, $30,000, right? Now, to see if something goes down, it's pretty objective. You just have a bunch of servers that ping the service to see if it's down or not, right? Correct. So my idea, or actually their idea, but I've added to it, parametric outage insurance. So essentially, if your e-commerce site is down for whatever reason, in a provable way, you'll get paid out for the exact revenue that you missed out on. And so I think the way we would do it is we would let you connect your Stripe account or something like that so we can predict how much revenue you would have lost. And we would just have servers that ping all the services to make sure that they're down or not. Okay, so my my immediate thoughts here are it's actually not that simple. Setting up outage detection is an insanely complicated thing. And there are a number of companies that are just like dedicated to just that because you have all these external facing systems that you can ping, but often outages are actually caused by these internal systems that are all interacting with each other in a private network. And you can't actually ping those services from an external ecosystem. The second one is like a question of incentives. It's already hard enough to build good systems. And now you don't have to worry about losing money if those systems go down. I would have thought that, you know, if I was taking some crazy dictator approach to this, that I would say, okay, my engineers get paid some obscene amount of money, right? Like $400,000 a year. But every time there's an outage, I'm taking a like 2% pay cut off them. <laughs> yeah. That's the better way to ensure. <laughs> okay. or, or, you know, you, how much money would we have lost? How much money do we na- make per employee? And then, you know, you, you take some percentage of that, uh, some respective relative number, and you just take that off their, their salaries. That's, de- you know, taking the pure crypto incentives and everything approach. Yeah. But what happens if the outage is not your fault? For example, with entry level, Cloudflare went down. What do we do about that? That's a really good one. So I think what I was more focused on was not internal failures. It's more like these very small e-commerce companies, actually really big e-commerce companies that use Shopify, to be honest. Like they, they still make 20, 30, 40 million a year of Shopify. So if you could just detect when Shopify is down, right, when Cloudflare is down. So you only cover like these very specific edge cases, right? But and, I think that, yeah, I think it makes yeah. sense. If, you're, if I'm insuring against a service that I'm using, like GitHub pages goes down all the time, then yeah, hell yeah, that, that, makes, that makes tons of sense. Yeah, and then but the incentives I, line up because then you've got insurance companies that have an incentive to encourage highly used services to actually work. Okay, I swipe right. Okay. It's not so, a super like. It's not a super yeah. like. But this, this one I'll I think is like a no-brainer, very simple thing to kick off. And I think a lot of e-commerce companies would just sign up to just have that protection. And yeah. you can get an actuary to come in and figure out what the premium should be. If they keep claiming all the time, then you, know, you can increase the premiums. It's um, kind of boring, but I, I like boring businesses. I'm surprised that like ProfitWell, which is, I don't know if you know ProfitWell and Pipe. So ProfitWell does pricing data for a SaaS company. So that what they do is they optimize your pricing to make the most amount of revenue as possible for SaaS companies. And I think it's called Pipe. There's a few other ones that give you revenue-based financing. So they'll give you annualized revenue upfront. So rather than waiting for 12 <laughs> months of like, you know, people paying the subscription, they'll give you 11 months up front and then they catch the difference and it's up to you to like really, you know, use that money in a more meaningful way. So you don't have to raise money and things like that. But they have all the financial data, which is why I was like, why doesn't one of these guys like provide insurance? And maybe they have thought about it and it didn't make sense for them, but I'd be curious to see that that sort of happen. All right. It's a coffee. It's a coffee date for sure. Okay. Yeah, maybe no FOFC, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, cool. I'll, I'll take a swipe, right? That's that's a good start. That's a good start. All right, so the next one is 
Let's see. Like, it's a half-baked idea, right? So, like, this is, like, a half-finished Tinder profile. I haven't really half put baked. up... Okay, so it's not a finished Tinder... Okay. The yeah, Tinder like, I, I think I have some photos, but, like, you know, I'm not... My face isn't really in all of the photos. You've got other friends, and yeah. I've got to go through, like, three photos and isolate which friend is in all three photos, and yeah. therefore who you actually are. Yeah, and my real name's not there, and, like, yeah, you don't know, so... Sounds like my profile. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this is called... Death of Artificial Physical Scarcity. And I really couldn't think of like a really suave name for it. So, so are, you, are you, are you going to pitch that someone should make a company that's taking advantage of the death of artificial scarcity or that that is somehow the company? It, it's taking advantage of okay. that, right? All so right. like yep. I could make an acronym. I was thinking of DAPS, like, <laughs> but that's already taken. So I'm just going to use this um, term. So as you know, I'm a very physical, collectible kind of guy, like trading cards, coins. Calories. Calories. <laughs> <laughs> I love it all, right? Um, however, in the future, I believe that we're going to have such precision manufacturing, atom by atom placement, that physical scarcity just won't exist. So like, if you want to copy a carbon copy of a rare collectible one of one um, at some point in the future, you're going to be able to make indistinguishable. But there are certain materials copies. that we don't know how to make that are inherently scarce. So if you made, you know, like a, a collectible card, but you like, I don't know, I want to say put uranium in it, but that's clearly a bad idea. But let's say you put uranium in it. There is only so many of those you could actually make. Fair. Fair. So that's why I put artificial physical scarcity, right? Mm-hmm. So when you artificially try to make something scarce, I think that's going to die. I didn't put physical scarcity because things like land... Things like, you know, materials. I was like, you can't really, you know, that's still land. what I'm like. Yeah, I should have just gone for land. I don't know why I went with uranium-laced <laughs> collectible cards. <laughs> so I think when companies try to make artificial scarcity by limiting supply, limited drops, like, you know, things like that, I think that's going to be difficult to maintain. Mm. Well, like companies something. like Plonk. What's Plonk? You know those little, are they called Plonks? Funko Pops? Funko, jeez. What is Plonk? <laughs> well, you knew what I was talking about. <laughs> You got from from Plonk to Funko Pops, so I nailed it. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Plonk, maybe that would be our collectible when we launch it. Does zero knowledge cryptography algorithm. Well, wait, what? Uh, Plonk. All oh, right, okay, so it's already a thing. You've yeah. somehow confused zero knowledge with, with the Funko Pop. Correct, I have absolutely zero knowledge about this space. But, okay, so you're, you're thinking about the death of, of things like Funko Pop. Yes, that's that's what I'm okay. thinking about. So my immediate criticism of that concept is that the scarcity, like the value associated with the scarcity is in the sort of communal understanding of that thing being scarce, not in the fact that it actually is scarce. Because you already see like knockoff brands all the time, right? Like you can go, I mean, come on, we're in Southeast Asia. We could go like two minutes down the road and buy like a knockoff Hugo Boss bag, but it doesn't make us feel good because we know it's not the real thing. Correct. But I think the issue is when someone doesn't know it's not the real thing, right? So right now, people spend sometimes millions of dollars getting authenticators to like prove that it's a real thing, right? And so you might have seen the Logan Paul thing where he spent $3.5 million, I think, on a box of G.I. Joe cards, which he thought was a Pokemon box, right? Amazing. So, and then he that paid. seems so in line with his, his stupidity. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to comment here and there because... That story makes me very happy. (laughs) What was I saying? Basically, like, he got scammed out of that, like, you know, that box, essentially. But he paid this grading company, like, a lot of money to verify for him. And they verified it. They said, yes, this is a real box. But clearly they were wrong. So I think at some point, 
you know, a lot of people, especially if these indistinguishable things come up, they're going to be buying counterfeits and they have no idea, right? Okay. So what's the opportunity here? What am I swiping left or right on? So I think the half-baked idea here is that if physical scarcity can't be a thing, then digital scarcity slash blockchain can maybe help, right? And I think the way that I would think about it, I was thinking about my own collectibles here, right? So like, A, we start destroying every physical collectible and make a digital twin over it, right? So we just get rid of physical scarcity altogether. So if you want to protect the 30, I don't know, ticket stubs for like a really popular game back in the 1960s, and you're really worried that like people are going to make duplicates of it, we just destroy all 30, make a digital clone, and they all know you, what's How are you going to protect the digital clone? Because in the context of like, let's say NFTs, which are the, the obvious sort of version of this at the moment, they're all visible on on chain, right? So the rule, presumably you're inscribing the rules of how to produce this thing on on chain as well. So if you have those rules written on chain for everyone to see, what stops anyone just making their own copies of those tickets? Well, I mean, ideally when they create the tickets, then the rule is that none can be made after that. But I can just, I can just see the, I mean, if, if I can purchase one of these machines that can make things in my house and I can just see your NFT on chain, what stops me just pumping into the machine. No, one's, no one can stop me doing that. All right, like making a physical copy, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess like what I was thinking was like at some point, the physical version would just become a memento and it's not really the valuable thing anymore. And it's just like everyone can have a copy of it, but they now know who the digital owners of that thing are. Right? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound like a, a, the equivalent of a grandpa in the Web3 space for saying this. Never really understood the digital scarcity NFT thing. Yeah, I don't really get it either. I prefer physical scarcity, but I'm really trying to think about how to protect my physical scarcity now because, like, I wonder in 50 years, like, how can I even prove that the thing I have is real, right, when I try to sell it? So I'm really trying to figure out how to get digital and physical to work together in some way. So either destroying the asset, making it digital, or somehow tying the physical thing to the digital thing in a meaningful way. And maybe technology will get there to a point where, like, you know, um, some sort of tagging system that it can't be replicated, right? There are some really, really cool techniques at the moment where they like etch at, at like a atomic level into materials and you can create, not because the material changes color, but because you've modified its atomic structure and you can make patterns in it. And those groups that looked at, originally they were trying to use this to inscribe private keys into physical metals so that you could have like an, a literal wallet that only works so you shine light through it. but. Obviously, then the manufacturer knows the key, and so it didn't really take off. But I don't know, like, that could play. But presumably, you're talking about this weird futuristic landscape where chances are everyone actually has one of these engravers, so it doesn't really, doesn't really help. Yeah, yeah. Um, All right, I'm swiping left. Swiping left? Yeah. Yes. Okay. It's, it's, it's too unclear. I'm too old to understand digital scarcity. You know, it's... Yeah, I did say it was half-baked. Like, <laughs> I, I, like, the problem is very clear to me. I just don't know what the solution exactly is, but that was like... Me trying to think about how to protect my own I think the solution is stuff. people start spending their money on productive things instead of collectibles. I don't think that's ever going to happen. <laughs> I I, I the fact that people are buying NFTs. Like... If we're busy dreaming about the future, AJ, that's... <laughs> yeah. Let me dream. Fair enough. Actually, to be honest, maybe physical scarcity is no longer a thing and just everyone gets to have the things they want and people stop valuing things based on supply, right? Could be a cultural shift. I think I would prefer that. That's fair. Cool. All right, so I've got one swipe right, one swipe left. I'll take that. I'm still aiming for that, that super like. All right. So hopefully this idea gets there, right? All so right. so you kind of already looked into it a little bit like when I posted the idea, but 
It's so I've been reading this book. It's called Second Brain by Tiago Forte. Have you seen that book? No, I have not. So the book's premise is basically the fact that like our brains are really good at coming up with ideas and you know dreaming up new stuff and taking inputs, but we're pretty bad at like storing it, organizing it, you know, actually then recalling it and using it later, right? So what he talks about is like we need a second brain. And his idea of a second brain is more like a notion page or an Evernote where you just store everything. So anytime you have a thought, you record a voice note, you write a note on it, you put it in your notebook, you just capture everything, then you organize everything, then like he has this whole four step process, like capture, organize, I think it's decode, and there's some other stuff. But what's the fourth one? I'll remember it later. But the point is, I've started using it, it's really effective. I just like, wanna say I really wanna see someone with the balls to do that in a real pitch, list off the advantages of the technology and get to the fourth one and be like, I'll remember it later. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've done that in a pitch before. <laughs> Did it close? I'm honest to the fault sometimes. Like I'll, I'll, have a, I'll have a pitch and they're like, tell me this number. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but just, I just don't know. It's like I could three. make something up, but like I really don't know. I'd have to go check. Like there are only so many things in my head at one time. And once you scale the business, actually, this is a tangent, but at some point, you're not going to be across everything in your business, right? You're only going to know 25%, right? And then the other 75%, you just know who to call to figure out what's going on, right? Now I think I'm running my business wrong. I think whenever I walk into a room with people that I'm pitching to, I have this like deep desire to know every single number about my business, at least for that day. I think you're just smarter than me. Anyway, back to second brain. So... I've started using it. It's actually been really effective for me to get my thoughts down, especially for like for this podcast. I'll read something. I don't want to forget it before I come and chat to you about it, right? So I want to put it down somewhere. So what if in the future your second brain was an actual thing? So a literal second brain or a digital twin. And so I was thinking about this. Like the very first way we would do this is like we wouldn't get into the neuroscience of it. We would start with just like, how do inputs get into our brain, right? We use like our laptops, our la- you know, we meet with people, like we read books, articles, all these different things. We would just need to figure out how to automatically capture all that data. So I guess you'd have a screen capture device on everything. You would maybe have like a, a mic connected to you at all times where it's just like listening to every single conversation you have. Are you pretending that's not already true? Yeah, no, <laughs> but we would own it now, right? <laughs> so it'd be our, our little mic. And then you would just have like a pre-processing unit that just like, tries to distill everything that every bit of content you get and it stores it for you. And then you just have a really sophisticated search algorithm, right? So, okay. The deep tech part of that would be the super sophisticated search algorithm, which would be insanely cool for a number of different things. But the, the other maybe more neural linky type strategy here is that you just record brain patterns. And then, you know, when you hear something cool, you know, you can just say, actually save whatever just happened to me like the last 30 seconds and it just you know at any one time this recording device is just recording your brain waves and keeps it in on file for the last you know five minutes and then if you at any point say oh whatever just happened last 30 seconds just give me that back at later notice and then you can just like sit out in a in a you know sensory deprivation tank and just you know trip out to your own thoughts and just get them directly simulated straight back into the brain but you definitely would need some kind of human brain interface which is super far away for like non-medical purposes but there are helmets that you can like oh yeah i mean you can buy them now you probably that's could. the kernel one right yeah yeah so yeah. brian johnson created this company that's focused on developing a helmet that measures your the sort of brain activity in the outer layer of your brain and you know whether you can re-simulate so that's the read 
mode, right? At some point, you would need to figure out how to get the right mode back. Yeah, correct. But I think at, at some point, you're right. Like, the next level is if an input comes in and we know what brain pattern happens, and if you have that for, like, 7 billion data points, at some point, you know that this brain pattern means that they learned this specific thing and that this specific sound happened, and you could probably record everything, right? So could get to that point. But I guess I'm starting with desirability over viability. Desirability for me is having a second brain that just like has everything recorded for me and I don't need to remember things anymore, right? I want to take Google search to like the absolute next level. Like I just can search every single piece of memory thing that I did, all that kind of stuff, because that's really difficult. And I want to spend most of my brain power pulling those thoughts aside and then, you know, creating new ideas, which ideas are essentially linking two foreign concepts together. See, I, I could almost have given you a super like here. I will definitely swipe out on this concept. I think the super like concept for me would have been more, not actually centered around second brain, but like this idea of being able to replay experiences. You know, so think about not a photo or So a black, black Mirror. <laughs> <laughs> like that, I think that was a literal episode about how the parent could see everything oh, the child Arch, could see. Archangel or something like yes, that. Yes, yeah, yeah, I think that's the one, yeah. Yeah, maybe something like that, but not like, but more more in that, that brain activity way. So you, it's as if you were actually experiencing it but played again. Because then you can start sharing other people's experience. You know, imagine that. Imagine sharing an experience to social media and then you can just like play someone else's experience. You'd solve the like using your phone while driving thing because if you started experiencing someone else's experience while driving, you'd just die. No yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also like every crime would be stopped because you could just see everything, right? I mean, if people posted it, sure. So, I guess the, so, yeah, the key issues well, here you could just are privacy <laughs> issues. Um, the fact that you need a recording device that's operating 24-7, it, where's it's getting its battery power from, where's its storage. Uh, this is before we get into the search algorithm. Is a side of it. What would your standards for the data formats be so that they were actually searchable? So would you just be like, when you <clears throat> replayed this thing, would you be just viewing it on a, like a screen and with an audio input as well? No, I think I'd just summarize everything for you. But right? in what format? Whichever format you prefer, I guess. So my problem is that when I come up with cool ideas, I write them down and then I never go back to them. Yeah, yeah. Unless you have a search algorithm, I think it's very difficult. The only time I ever go back is like I'm searching for it on my Notion and it pops up, right? Mm. So I think that's the way I would want to do it. So I've got like a little extension to the idea, right? To try and get you over the line All right. to, to a super life, hopefully. So this, this idea is a bit more near term and is only for... The super wealthy. Like, I, I just, I don't... I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. I don't think I could sell this to an average I couldn't afford it. Actually, maybe I could. I want that scarcity. <laughs> have you heard of Sentinel? I have, but I have no idea what it is. Okay, so Sentinel is really cool. It's a security company, right? But the way that they make the security a little bit more affordable, because they put cameras all over the place, and they actually have humans that come in and intervene. So if someone tries to break in or knock on the door, do something weird then you will hear, hear a voice from your virtual security guard saying like, hey, what are you doing? Like, I'm calling the cops and they will call the cops for you and like sort it all out, right? So it's like having a personal security guard, right? But that's fully virtual. That's so sick. Wait, so they have like a central security team somewhere that's just getting these feeds from everywhere. I'm pretty sure it's offshore in like the Philippines somewhere. Amazing, okay. But they, yeah, they go like virtual, just like a virtual assistant, you have a virtual security guard. Actually, no, I think they have a local team. It's a US security guard for US people. The way they make it work is they use something called human in the loop, right? So human in the loop is basically, it's not fully a human system, but it's like technology enabled humans where they essentially have maybe a thousand screens going at a time, but the AI system will automatically catch any interesting things and then show the security guard the interesting thing that are happening, right? So they can, 
you know, one person can now look at maybe a hundred homes at a time versus like what they could feasibly do, maybe two or three, right? So it's like a technology-enabled human to become a security guard, which brings costs down for everyone, right? So does that make sense? Yes. Okay. That's not what I thought Sentinel was, but I, I had no idea what Plonks and Funko Pops were. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised you didn't think it was like some you know, toy or something like that, right? I thought it was like a, like a analytics. You know what? What I should do? I should just give you names, and you just tell me what you think it is. <laughs> All right, we'll do that next episode. <laughs> okay, so that, that's the whole thing. No, no, I, I wanted to loop that into. Oh, so that's already. How does, how does this come into? That's already right? thing. Okay. But what if I just did that for learning, right? So every single piece of learning you get now goes through this system where a human is now your personal system for your second brain, right? And they're the ones like sorting everything out. And then you just like, like almost like you're talking to serious. I'm 100% in. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because the idea that I had while all of this was happening because my I saw my PA come in and deliver my lunch yeah. out of the corner of my eye was like- They Uber. should organize my thoughts. <laughs> Like Uber for, for like PAs and chiefs of staff. Because I think everyone, especially, I mean, you, you might know this feeling, that there comes a time in a startup where you, where you really do need a PA to help you organize your thoughts, to help you keep your schedule, you know, to, to do all these things for you. But you're not quite at the point where you want to pull the trigger for a full-time PA because you're like, I actually don't need a, f like 90% of the time I'm actually good. It's just that 10% of the time that I'm really seriously swamped that I need help. Or, you know, maybe that you have got like two, three hours of things a day that I could get a, get someone to do, but that's not, not enough to actually hire somebody, go through that pain in that process. And it's also really hard to find a good PA, right? So I was thinking that was going to be my pitch to you, right? Uber for, Uber for, yeah. So, so it's cheaper like, staffs, PA, EAs, that kind of yeah, stuff, right? So that like three founders could share a PA. Yeah. But I think I like the idea. It's just that I, I've been on the precipice of hiring an EA for like... That means you're going to be my first customer. For Forever, right? But... It is that trust thing too, right? Like you want someone that you can work with your entire time as opposed to someone that... Right, but see, this is the genius of it, right? Is that you have this ability, like, I mean, much like most of these sort of gig economies, you've got this reputation built up on this profile for this person that, you know, they're good or they're bad. But you're also going to be able to see who they're working with right now. And you can just reach out to them and be like, is this person actually any good, right? Like, yeah, can true. I trust them? That's true. Yeah, I'm in. Like, <laughs> I, want, I want an EA. Just okay, think. but 100% as though this is scripted, I'm giving you the super like for that idea. If I could just stream all of my experiences to a, a literal second brain and have them just sort it out and then done it, it. <laughs> into different pages and, and then prompt me every now and then and be like, hey, do you remember this cool thought you had like two weeks ago? Yeah, it was good. I, I think you pushed me. I really had to think about a different idea on the, on the fly and I just remembered Sentinel. I was like, you know what? I'm going to use this. This is like, so I'm going to tie it all into this second brain idea. But I'll give you one yeah. million at 100 pre money. Okay. Okay, I think that's a bit oh, wait, undervalued. No, the, the, ma the macro is terrible right now. I'll give you a hundred thousand at one million pre money. Look, I think <laughs> if you in five years is going to become a five hundred billion dollar company, I just think that's <laughs> that's super undervalued. In in fact, I'm I'm offended. <laughs> <laughs> all right, there will be no third episode. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's all I've got for you. Those are my ideas. You gave me one idea, which I am actually. Not super like, but I I will like that. I, I think you'll take I it. You'll take it out for coffee. Yes, I would. I would. Yeah. I would try it out. Like if yeah. you sent me the website, I would sign up. I'd put some money in and just see what happens. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Which I think is a, is a is a good limit. I'll limit, take I'll take that for an off the cuff idea. So just to summarize the three ideas, it was man. Do I even remember? It was <laughs> the first idea was man. What was the first idea? You got this. I believe in you. I can do this. I can do this. I okay. Friends. Oh, yes, it was insurance. It was parametric e-commerce insurance, which 
Sounds really fancy, but it's insurance for whenever your e-commerce store websites go down for some reason outside of your own company. So it's like external service providers that screw you, mainly the big ones like Cloudflare and things like that. I, I, I did swipe right on that with the caveat that I, I don't recommend talking about insurance on a first date, generally speaking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unless you crash into each other like in a car or something and that's your first date, <laughs> in which case, yeah. The second idea was around physical scarcity, just not being a thing in the future and how to go about that. And I presented an idea around digital, physical to digital, which half-baked, wasn't really sure, but I think there's a problem. If anyone has a better idea, just DM me. I'm so down to like hear it out. And I, I swiped left on that one. I presume that we've gotten this right, that it's swipe right for right. And yeah, well, look, we'll, we'll figure it out. Someone will point it out if we're wrong, so... We could. So yeah, that was left. And then the final idea started with Second Brain and like taking the principles from Second Brain and then trying to make a digital version or like an app around it, which started off with like capturing all the inputs and then changed to like maybe going to neuroscience route where we just track our brains. And then I tried to shortcut the process with the human in the loop system, which is essentially a tech enabled human. So like normally a human could probably process like one or two things at a time, but if you get technology and AI involved, you could probably scale their attention span and be able to service maybe 100 clients. So that was sort of the idea. So And I was all in on that. And to be honest, like after pitching you that final idea, I think we may launch that at entry level, so I will, <laughs> I will let you know. I might actually try that. Wasn't thinking that was going to come into the episode thinking of a legit idea for my business, but, you know, I'll take it. Yeah. It's freely given. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I appreciate everyone listening. Hopefully you enjoyed that deep tech Tinder episode. We may do another deep tech Tinder if Lung actually comes up with some ideas this time. So I can shit on his ideas instead of the other way around. But let us know what you thought in the comments. I think that's how it works. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> and if you have profiles for us to swipe left or right on, definitely send them through as well. Yeah, actually, if you have ideas, send us the ideas that we can swipe left and right to. And maybe we just do like a community version. But again, AJ is married, so exclusively deep tech profiles. Yeah. <laughs> long, long might be open. We don't know. We'll, we'll see. And with that, it's over.